Hello, and my name is Lori Ellis, and I'm a writer and editor with Pharma Intelligence. Today, I'm here with Reina Alexa, Senior Principal Scientist, Regulatory Science and Strategy at IQVIA, to discuss how regulatory agencies, such as the FDA, are embracing real-world data as the next piece of innovative health. I want to thank you, Reina, for joining me today. So, welcome, and let's proceed to the first question. Can you briefly describe the evolution of the FDA's real-world evidence framework? First, thank you, Lori, for having me here today to have a conversation on the topic. It's very much appreciated. Uh, the impetus for the starting point of the real-world evidence framework and the subsequent guidance documents was really the 21st Century's Cure Act, which was signed into law on the 13th of December in 2016. Now, this act had several provisions included within it, And really, it was designed to support and expedite the availability of medical products to the general public. And, of course, one of the provisions contained within that act was in the relation to the use of real-world evidence. Section 3022 of the CARES Act did require the FDA to establish a program to evaluate the potential uses of RWE to support the approval of new indication of pharmaceutical products as well as help support or satisfy those post-approval study requirements. Rana, you explained how the framework came about. Can you explain where we are in the life cycle today? Sure, sure. Well, again, that first mandate was creating that generalized framework, and that was accomplished with the publication of the FDA RWE program framework in December of 2018. Now, that established the definitions of real-world data and real-world evidence, as well as the scope of the RWE program. It described what the current uses of RWE for evidence generation have been in the past and currently, and described the high-level framework for evaluating RWD and RWE for regulatory decision-making. Since that initial framework has been released, the FDA has issued additional guidance documents that were intended to fine-tune that high-level framework and provide the agency's current thinking with regard to RWE. Most of the recent guidance documents that we see and that we'll talk a little bit more about later today are geared toward the drug and biologic products to provide guidance regarding the establishment of data standards, requirements for assessing electronic health records and claims data, assessing registry data, and really the general considerations for the use of RWD and RWE for regulatory decision-making. In the context of this framework, how does the agency define real-world data versus real-world evidence? Well, according to the FDA's RWE framework, as well as the current guidance, the FDA defines real-world data, or RWD, as data relating to patient health status, and or the delivery of healthcare collected from a variety of sources. Now, these sources are very expansive at this point and can include, but are not limited to, the health claims data, electronic medical records, registries, clinical outcome assessments, even social media data and wearables. In contrast, real-world evidence, or RWE, is defined as clinical evidence about the usage and the potential benefits or risks of a medical product that's derived from the analysis of RWD. So really, to frame it another way, RWE is the practice of analyzing any data derived from real-world data sources in order to address a predefined research question. So then, 
What are the potential challenges in utilizing traditional randomized controlled trials, and why might sponsors want to consider incorporating a real-world strategy in their portfolio? Well, as many of you already know, the randomized controlled trials, or RCTs, have been defined as the gold standard in the industry for quite some time. However, they do have their limitations. Uh, they can be time and resource intensive to conduct, which may ultimately have financial implications, given the fact that it will cost more money to support those additional resources over an extended period of time or a longer study duration. Now, that's not to say that all real-world study designs are short-term. Registries, for example, can be very long in duration. I personally have seen some registries run for 20 to 25 years. But even with a long-duration registry, there are offsets in terms of resource costs and the potential ability to begin extracting valuable data across the course of an active registry and not just at the end of a project. And typically what you end up seeing from an RCT standpoint is you want to run to the full end of that RCT duration before you begin being able to extract any data or perform that final data analysis. So there are some benefits even with the longer term real world study designs. In addition, traditional RCTs are also very specific with regard to the inclusion and exclusion criteria. As such, the study populations in a randomized controlled trial tend to be very homogeneous in nature. So the results from a traditional RCT may not be fully reflective of how the product will work or operate within the general population. Once that product has been on the market, the heterogeneity of the general population may uncover nuances of how the product actually works in specific subpopulations who were not accounted for via the initial inclusion or exclusion criteria of the RCT. And we actually have seen some ramifications of this periodically over the past few years, where products that were initially received their marketing approval via that traditional RCT route, but as it was prescribed to a larger, more heterogeneous population post-market, safety concerns arose, which actually warranted removal of the product from the market. So, for example, the MS treatments in Brita and the COX-2 inhibitor Vioxx are two examples of where market withdrawal actually occurred because of post-market safety concerns that were not readily apparent within that homogeneous RCT population during the initial marketing approval. RCTs also rely on very strict protocols in a cadence of study events that are highly controlled, which may not be reflective of how the product is prescribed by a healthcare physician or used as part of standard of care. So RWE does provide the opportunity to assess how the product is used in the real world under different conditions, in different environments, and within different subpopulations. Okay, so you've explained the why. Now, after reviewing all of the guidances, when should sponsors start to consider incorporating real-world data into their studies? I mean, technically speaking, RWD is not a new concept. We have been using it for years with regard to supporting post-market safety efforts. However, what we see now is that there is value and potential for a significant return on investment throughout the entire product lifecycle. For example, RWE could inform product strategy and be used to understand things such as unmet medical needs, and patient subgroups, which can ultimately help sponsors maximize the value of their assets. 
It can be used to accelerate and optimize clinical trials, to enhance protocol feasibility, to inform study design, to accelerate recruitment and identify potential targets for sponsor and uh, subject recruitment, as well as establish clinical trial endpoints. We often see RWE being used for registration and indication expansions, which will lead to a timeline acceleration and cost savings. It can also be used to help support health technology assessments or HTA submissions to improve access and get pricing via broader patient access and increased market potential. It does have the demonstration, demonstrates comparable advantages and product value and can support precision diagnoses to improve patient outcomes that will hopefully result in, again, in that increased market potential and the faster product uptake. Long story short, sponsors can and should begin thinking about the potential for RWE advantages very early on in the development lifecycle. Although they may not exercise those options immediately, it's really good to think about that as part of that product profile in order to have a framework of all of the potentialities of where that product could go with the use of RWE to support additional marketing approvals. By releasing these guidances, the FDA then is trying to give a comprehensive guide in how to use real-world data in studies. Do you feel there will be additional guidances really soon? Yes. Uh, All of the guidance documents are currently in draft form, several of which still have active public commentary periods in place via regulations.gov. Now, this is an opportunity for the public to come in and provide their review and their assessment of those guidance documents. For example, the Real World Alliance, which is a consortium of sponsors and RWE experts led by IQVIA, have assessed and provided commentary through that public consultation period in regulations.gov. Now, we do expect the agency will be assessing that public commentary that has been received and issuing final guidance based upon public comments. Future state legislation, such as the Cures Act 2.0, will likely elicit additional guidance in areas such as RWE, digital health, and decentralized trials. This is one of the benefits to the way that the FDA, as what the government agencies in general in the United States, have this public commentary period to allow organizations such as the RWE Alliance, sponsors, or even individuals to go into the system, review the guidance, and provide their commentary to help influence the policy as well as future state regulations. Well, thank you, Reina Alexa, for taking the time to have this conversation with me today. To learn more about real-world data and the regulatory landscape, please listen to our other podcasts discussing the FDA's guidance of real-world data use, quality, and benefits. I would also like to thank the sponsor of this podcast, IQVIA, for making this great discussion possible.